By speaking with local creators, artists, and business professionals, PaperCut aims to cut deep and demystify the Winnipeg creative industry with hometown heroes and hidden gems. Brought to you by the West End Cultural Center, the best place for over 30 years to see live music in Winnipeg. Welcome to Paper Cut Podcast. My name is Jared Gochek. I'm Olivia Michaelchuk, and we're here with Alexa Potashnik. Please tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so I'm the founder and president of Black Space Winnipeg. Um, I sit on a couple boards in terms of influencing diverse initiatives across Winnipeg, um, specifically uh, in the arts community and in other um, government and nonprofit sectors. I'm a vocal percussionist. Um, and yeah, I'm generally attracted to any type of initiative that involves challenging racism and discrimination um, through Winnipeg and providing safer spaces for people of color, specifically Winnipeg's black community. Can you explain to us what Black Space Winnipeg is? Yeah, uh, so we've been around for, I guess, going on three years now. I can't believe it's already 2019. Um, we provide safe spaces for Winnipeg's black community and essentially advocate um, through a different, uh, through different initiatives um, from artist demonstration, demonstrations to workshops, um, from panel discussions, and really just, I think, spreading uh, education and awareness that first off, black folks exist in the prairies and in Winnipeg, um, and that anti-black racism knows no borders or boundaries, and it exists and can manifest within a Winnipeg context as well. So um, we've been doing that for, for three years. We started out through challenging the idea of um, uh, and practice of anti-black racism and discrimination through a lot of artistic resistance um, through uh, our annual Afrocentric Afro Artist Showcase, Nui Noir, which uh, happens during Nui Blanche. We have our Afro Prairie Film Festival, and most recently last year started our community mental health program called Project Heal. Um, so yeah, we've, uh, we've been doing some work, for sure. And all of this is... Um through sort of like, this is like a, a, an extracurricular project. Like you have work and then you do this on top of yeah, that. Yeah, this is my my um, intense uh, hustle side gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that takes up actually most of my time. Um, and being like the, the founder, um, I'm extremely passionate to make sure that um, this is supportive and, you know, has momentum moving forward and, I don't know where I think the projects that we've been doing have um, made significant impact in certain par- pockets of our community. So, uh, yeah, there, but there's still a lot of work that that needs to be done. Can you uh, speak about when you wanted to start the idea and just kind of how it came to fruition? Yeah, so um, I'm a University of Winnipeg graduate. My major was human rights. and. Um, kind of throughout my degree, there was, it's, it's very, it's heavily Eurocentric. Every time you talk about human rights, they very much look to the United Nations as like the be all end all and the International Monetary Fund of the World Bank and the International Criminal Court and all these, uh, you know, uh, organizations that really, I think, contribute to the um, miseducation of, in quote, like developing countries around the world. And they never um, spoke about issues 
I think that were of human rights violations at home, uh, specifically the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, the injustice that black folks face across North America. So I just got really fed up of my professors always, um, I don't know, dismissing the the argument or the the crisis the hap- that is happening in terms of, um, you know, police brutality and injustice towards black people. So um, early 2016, like in March, uh, I created an online private group called Black Space for my friends and family and uh, network just to heal and come together and share resources and, you know, connect online. Um, and I'd say a few months later in July with the um, deaths of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. Um, I just was really tired of there being no public pla- uh, platform for, I don't know, uh, issues for black people. Um, no one was talking about it in, in Winnipeg other than within my immediate network. And um, we held the first and to the state only Black Lives Matter vigil at the ledge on July 20th, 2016, um, on the brink of a storm. Like it, it, there, there's probably like, I don't know, 700, 1,000 people who showed up and it just poured and, you know, there was lightning and, and thunder and the storm took out trees and somehow we were all okay. But I thought it was just so powerful how that kind of, since then it, it opened the door and I think, um, the awareness that, you know, uh, black folks do experience a lot of discrimination um, in Winnipeg, and it's just something that's not as, um, you know, openly discussed. So uh, those, the classrooms that you were in at the U of W, was it often that you were challenging your professors with some of the things, like you were saying that you were getting frustrated with them, were you vocally frustrated? Yeah, I, um, like for example, the ICC, the International Criminal Court, was notorious for, you know, um, uh, always uh, making African countries look like they are third world and just just such a negative representation of anywhere that wasn't Europe or North America. Um, and I just, I don't know, I, I, I got really fed up and then there was no um, cultural... Uh, relevant text or um, we were always learning from like old dead white men or philosophers and it just got really tiresome to always hear and learn from one perspective and you know have human rights um, from like a very European Eurocentric standard um, because it really after like World War II um, you know they're like this is such a, an injustice to and the Holocaust is such an injustice to humanity and you know uh, the United Nations was formed and um, these other uh, organizations to make sure nothing like no atrocity would happen like that ever again but you know they just they never touched on the atrocity that um, you know from the transatlantic slave trade or the injustice and genocide of indigenous people in North America and I don't know it just it didn't sit well with me so um, I I've, actually in um, 2017 I did a TED talk at University of Winnipeg and it was um, called um, white supremacy and higher education and I just kind of broke down my experience as an undergrad and um, said we we need to do better we need we need diverse models of education and um, we need to learn from 
uh, scholars who are not white. Um, and yeah, just, just open the conversation to uh, diversity throughout academia. Wow. That's a, so were some of those pro- professors present at your TED Talk? Um, <laughs> like that must be really uh, like an intimidating place to do it. At yeah, it was, it was very, you could hear a pin drop in the room for sure. Cause mm. TED Talk is all about, you know, we're all one and let's make the world a better place. And I was very much like, no, white supremacy exists in Canada and um, white people in Canada have been getting away f- with their racism for far too long. And um, these are my experiences as a student and why I've rejected my degree um, because it didn't, it didn't speak to who I was in the, as an individual. It didn't speak to the causes that I was passionate for, about fighting for. Um, and there was, one, there was one moment where I made everyone repeat after me and I said white supremacy exists in Canada. And I'm sure that was a very hard pill for most of the audience to swallow because um, we're in a cultural mosaic and accepting and tolerant country um, when we're just completely um, covert and polite about uh, our discrimination. So for your TED Talk, were you approached about doing this or did you have to submit no, they, they approached me. The committee approached me to, to do a talk. And my original speech was much more radical. And I had to, I had to censor myself because um, uh, I think I made statements like white people are dot, dot, dot. And they, didn't, um, they weren't too keen on me making <laughs> generalizations like that. So I was like, OK, I'll try to be more academic about it. Um, but yeah, I think it was just like five years of academic turmoil and stress that kind of you know, erupted um, within my TED talk. But um, the professors who did show up were very receptive and they said that they liked my speech. So maybe it made an impact on some people. And has there been changes in the types of courses that are available as a result of some of the work that you've done? Uh, Well, I know um, there's an amazing professor in the English department, Dr. Jenny Hayjohn Wills. She's one of the founders and co-founders of the Critical Race Network at the University of Winnipeg. So when it was my last year, I um, worked with her a bit, um, like promoting diversity in academia. And I know there's a a campus collective now called Students of Color who's doing some, some work on campus. So there are things that have come out of it, but in terms of like, you know, uh, the syllabus and course material, I don't think it's changed that much. And especially in like the conflict res, international development and human rights department, um, I doubt that they've changed too much. Um, and again, like it's coming, it's in, it's in um, uh, Menno Simons. So there's a, obviously a large Mennonite community. And I just don't think that program is ready to take a radical approach to education and, you know, um, being crit- very critical of the UN and some of the organizations that they were very much um, proud to to teach us about. Mm-hmm. What do you think would ever inspire them to finally change? Um, I think it's gonna. I mean, the U of U of W isn't any different from any other academic mm-hmm. institution from within the West. Honestly, um, I think it it comes down to folks who are in positions of power. Um, and, you know, grassroots movements to collaborate and say that this is a problem. And, um, you know, being a a student of color within 
um, that department wasn't the most positive experience because, you know, we were learning about colonization and, um, you know, genocide, but it was, it always came down to just one specific group and they didn't necessarily even get to the roots of, you know, these issues. Like, I never heard them openly talk about, you know, white supremacy ever. And I just thought that was crazy that you, you, you know, you can't talk about cultural um, genocide in any way without talking about race and um, intersectionality, which I thought they were just very um, uh, hesitant to, to discuss. So uh, I don't know what it's going to take. It's going to take all the professors of color and um, academic uh, advisors and faculty and staff to come together and have a conversation because even at the University of Winnipeg I believe like um, there's an indigenous course requirement but there's only like eight percent of indigenous faculty and staff um, which is just crazy to me and there's like 17 17 to like 20 percent of racialized faculty and staff so um, and I had like two black professors throughout the five years of being at U of W. So yeah, it's definitely a problem. So uh, I want to get to Black Space Winnipeg. It's not a, a physical space. Not yet. That, okay. that takes that takes time and money. So okay, so can you money. just uh, describe a little bit what it is exactly? Yeah, I mean, we're pretty multidisciplinary. Um, like I said in the beginning, we started challenging and um, talking a lot about anti-black racism and being black in Winnipeg through art. So the Nui Noir Afrocentric Artist Showcase, um, I basically approached, I sent a, an email to Culture Days and Nui Blanche like back in 2016. And I was like, hey, you have no indigenous or black artists um, in one of Winnipeg's major arts festivals. Like, what's up with that? And they, they said, well, it's voluntary and people usually come and they make their venues. And I just thought, okay, well, either I, I'm not in the loop and I don't know what's going on or there actually isn't anything going on. So um, our, our, um, our first year was at Jabril Bangura's um, Artist Exchange Studio in the, in the Exchange District. And um, it was uh, Xavier uh, Dubem Ugechwe, uh, Jabril, Mahalit Kuff and Yurio, Yuri Portillo, um, who, you know, uh, expressed Afrocentric art um, that evening. And it was really special because the folks who came into the venue um, said they'd never seen anything like this before at, at Nuit Blanche. And I wasn't surprised to hear that because I've been going to Nuit Blanche since like 2012, 2013, and I didn't see anything that um, was very uh, culture, culturally specific, especially to the black community. So we were very happy to make that space. Um, and then we started a film series partnership with the Winnipeg Film Group and Cinematheque. Um, and our debut, our debut film in 2017, I'm Not Your Negro, um, we screened and we had a panel discussion. And then since then, we did panels and film screenings and you know, um, centered the the theme of the film uh, and narratives in the film to how how, how it can be related to the Black experience in Winnipeg. Um, and then in 2018, last year, it was our inaug inaugural year for our Afro Prairie Film Festival, and that came, I think, also um, out of the work that um, Winston Washington Moxham did, who was this 
I think one of Manitoban's first black filmmakers um, who whose films like really told the truth and um, uh, you know at times very brutal realities um, of the black experience in Winnipeg and uh, we we started a shorts um, award in his in his name um, for emerging black Canadian filmmakers and um, last year was really special and it brought so many people together and, and we're planning for 2019. Um, and that's the, that's kind of the thing we do for Black History Month, our um, recognition and um, our film uh, partnership, which was which was great. And then, but I would say, um, you know, nonprofits, they're, they impact people's lives, but they also, they morph and they shift and they, um, they do that to meet the needs of the community. So... Uh, this year, um, or in the summertime, um, I was really happy that we started a community mental health program to um, provide a safe space for black folks to who want to work towards better mental health practices and work through trauma um, in the same conversation as white supremacy and the effects it has on our um, you know, mental health and our well-being as a community. Um, and that was... Uh, we started at clinic and then we moved to the our partnership with the Women's Health Clinic. So um, Sapphire McLeod and Nedua Jekum, who are the program facilitators, um, did an amazing job. And for 14 weeks, we um, were talking about the um, the issues and challenges that, you know, come with being a, a black person in Winnipeg and sometimes being um, very vulnerable and having no space um, or no no uh, avenue to go to um, when you're you know you feel isolated and you feel alone and um, you're dealing with depression and anxiety and you know just having a, a group that's going to validate your experience. So uh, we brought in guest speakers from the community because we really wanted to emphasize the importance of Black people healing Black people. Um, so we talked about everything from like sex sex and uh, intimate relationships to um, your diet and nutrition and the effects of that and exercise on your mental health to um, the power of language and um, the language you use with yourself and how that can um, have an effect on your on your mental health and uh, just amazing um, co-facilitators and guest speakers who came in um, and I guess most recently um, there's been we've been meeting with um, folks who have been expressing a deep concern um, with our education system in Manitoba and um, the lack of black educators and academic assistants and coaches and um, just anybody uh, through our primary um, education system. And uh, there's just not a lot of, I don't know, material um, in terms of black history in our schools across Manitoba. And we're far behind, um, let's say, to what the work Ontario is doing. Um, so we've been working um, with people and, um, I don't know, to hopefully address and provide a solution. But it's, it's one of those things where um, people approach, uh, 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 approach us to do things or we, you know, they're, they're, we respond to what's happening in the community. Like last year, oh, sorry, two years ago, um, I don't know if you remember the um, Charlotte's, Charlottesville um, riot basically that happened in Virginia, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was a, in that time there was like white supremacist, 
graffiti popping up in certain places in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a community forum basically called Silence is Violence to address um, what was going on in our community. Um, but this work is intense and you know, there's not necessarily a toolkit or handbook to tell you this is how you're going to, you know, fix all, all these problems. And Winnipeg is, uh, it's still like a, it's still very much like a town mentality. So, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely some people who are supporters of us, but there's a lot of people who want to, you know, um, turn the other cheek and say, well, there's not an issue here. So I think uh, what we do is in response to what we feel the community needs or is lacking. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about allyship for if there's for me personally, I I feel that at some points it feels like I'm not I don't know what to do or I don't know how to help or those types of things. Are there resources for me to find out some of those things? Because I find it personally like to speak to someone and ask them for their time and information, and all this stuff. I usually find that draining. I don't want to drain somebody of that uh, information or that time from them, but I don't know where to go or where to look in 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 order to help. Um, or maybe yeah. it's not my place to help, but well, yeah, it's uh, allyship is it's important, but it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there is a place for white people to go to talk about, uh, you know, their internal their personal internal struggles um, and prejudice and judgment when it comes to racial bias and and, and racism. I I don't think there's a space for that yet. Um, If, you know, white people started that, that would be very interesting. Um, But I think personal education is very important. Like even throughout my degree, um, like I said, it didn't speak to what I was interested in learning. Um, or exploring further. So I did a lot of independent research and um, just found out what was happening across the country and within my community. Um, And you learn things when you're also put into situations that aren't um, the most comfortable for you, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Yeah, whenever people ask me that, I'm just like, well, Google's a great resource when you have questions. But I know there's, it's more about like, well, how you have this privilege, you recognize it. And I don't think it's going to change until, um, like I've said before in other interviews, like collectively, um, I'm very hesitant um, and... I don't know, um, concerned about trusting white people as a collective. Mm-hmm. Individually, it's different. I have, I have friends, I have folks who are really close to me who we've made um, extraordinary connections, um, you know, and that's that's different. But as a collective, I think they've had their, their time um, and chance on several occasions to show up and be allies and they've kind of failed in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also about having conversations within your personal network and your own close circles. Like, um, I don't, like, when you're the only person of color in a room full of white people, you you know that, like it's very obvious. But, um, and then 
I, I've been in this situation several times, the racist joke will come up and then everybody kind of looks at you as if you're the ambassador to like all people of color or all black people and um, they're waiting for your response. And um, I just think, I just think they, maybe they, they don't know how to start because they don't want to offend anyone and they don't think they have the tools, but I think they need to have those uncomfortable and real conversations just within their family and their friend group. Like, um, I saw this in the news the other day. How did it make you feel? Like, what can we do? And just, I, I don't think they're having conversations as a collective. I think um, that would, you know, that would be a start. Mm-hmm. I think um, the the heart of my question was more so, I've done the Googling and I know all of, all of these things, but now what? Do is the education enough or is there other like showing up like mm. showing up to what or where yeah i mean um if you see people doing a campaign or asking for resources um yeah definitely like support anything you feel speaks to you and that you feel you can genuinely help without taking space like you can make let's say for example someone's someone is looking for or organizations looking for donations uh you can donate and you don't uh if you're comfortable like not getting that acknowledgement and just providing things that um some communities may not have all the resources and if you do sharing those resources and not expecting anything back um but uh i think i'm still unfortunately i don't have an answer for how or what they're supposed to do because we're so focused on what we need to do right. within our yeah. communities. Um, so I think, and I, I think it's a matter of um, speaking, because if you, let's say if you're doing that research and you're like, okay, well now what, you know, are there other people and are your friends and you, is your family doing that research too? Because I've been in enough um, spaces with white people to know that they aren't having those kind of conversations or they aren't doing that type of research mm-hmm. so um like i said i think it's about the collective push and you know having them wake up because there's still a lot of um white folks who don't think that white privilege is a thing or that racism exists so you know maybe that's where the allies do that emotional labor because we can't do that anymore right thank you for sharing that for and sure. putting that yeah. time into those questions that yeah. I had. Okay. Yeah, I know personal education is really important. Um, I want to shift a little bit to vocal percussion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna, cool. I wanted to shift to vocal percussion, too. What does that mean? Yeah, what does it mean? In... Like beatboxing. Oh, beatboxing. Okay. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Oh, since I was like eight or nine. Oh, <laughs> it's, oh cool. It's been a while. Um, yeah, I, I saw some guy do it on Much Music back in the day, and I was like, <laughs> that is so dope. Um, and... I just started, I just started practicing. It was, um, uh, I just, I was so, my mom was a, a huge influence, um, is a huge influence in like my, first of all, my, my professional and like activist work and throughout my music um, because I grew up with um, heavy influences of R&B and soul and funk and hip hop um, and, and reggae. Um, so I've, there was always good music uh, playing in my house. So one day I see this guy on, on much music beatboxing, um, and I can't really remember what he was doing, but I, 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 uh, came to like three basic beats where like the, the bass and the, the hi-hat and the snare, 
Um, and it was very simple. I started off like, um, oh my God, I was like a little kid. It, it, it was, it sounded like, and just like getting really used to moving your mouth incredibly at, at a fast speed. Uh, but then I learned how to incorporate my throat probably when I was like middle school and, um, trying to mimic songs and different, uh, musical instruments and things that I hear. So it sounded more like, Oh. And um, <laughs> I I say vocal percussion because when I hear beatboxing and beatboxers these days, um, I think it's lost a lot of its um, roots. Like it it's um, heavily influenced through like doo wop and jazz and like uh, in hip hop, um, like uh, the human beatbox and like uh, you know the the uh, the pioneers of, of hip hop. Um, and having like really using a lot of breath and, and undertones. And now it just sounds like, you know, Skrillex on crack. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it, but um, like more like sound effects opposed to um, music. And my interest was always um, trying to mimic the drum and mimic percussion. Um, so some of these guys like coming out of, of Europe and even like beatbox, there's Beatbox Canada. I think their headquarters is in Toronto, um, which is also a very uh, like if you go on their their website, it's like heavily male dominated. And um, the people like there is and it's not really diverse. It's mostly like um, these like young white kids beatboxing. And I, that just doesn't sit well with me. Like it derived and it came from hip hop and black communities. And in Canada, it's like very, very, very white. Um, so I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on there, but I've always, um, I've always collaborated with artists and, um, I need to make more time for, for my music and my, you know, beatboxing and vocal percussion kind of creative outlets because it is, um, it's a lot of fun and I've been doing it for so long. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's my stress reliever and um, kind of my escape. Um, but I think the way it's going from like that, that golden age to like, I don't know what the hell is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more interested in like the golden age. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what would be like a beat? Or sorry, of like, where would you perform or how would you perform with another um, person or would it just Yeah, be- I used to perform a lot at this, um, uh, it was, oh my God, who used to run it? it? It was called The Hub and it was like this, I don't know, networking kind of bougie after hours event in the exchange run by Young Entrepreneur Society or something like that. So I used to beatbox a lot with this um uh, this local singer, uh, Mariana Kenyatis. And then I did a, I did a video with Keisha Booker, who's like a soul singer in the city. Uh, I collaborated a bit here and there with Marisol Nagash, um, Jeannie Buffo, who's this incredible hip hop dancer in the city. I've done, uh, work with him and his dance crew, uh, and his, um, he did a play, uh, two years ago called The Artist Within. Um, so I was at MTYP doing that. And I don't know, um, I'm looking to branch out and do more more projects because it's, um, I've been so busy with activism that mm-hmm. I haven't given the time um, for my creative, my creative side. Um, so I would say, um, well actually in, in 2016, going back to Jeannie, he put on 
um, this amazing um, chair, uh, fundraiser called Dance for MS. So he raises money for the MS Society. Um, and during the intermission, he had a beatboxing battle. And it was me and there was three other guys um, who were probably a good, like, three to five years younger than me. Uh, I was in my early 20s at the time. I'm like, okay, these are like high school students. Like, why did I sign up for this? <laughs> but, um, you know, they, this guy went, this guy went, this guy went. And again, sounding all like new Skrillex. I don't know what the hell. I was like, that's not my thing. Uh, and then it came to me and I, I put like um, this type of powder in my hand. So when it went to the mic, like smoke came out from my hands. Nice. Um, and I was just like, I'm so, like, I was so fed up, especially growing up, like, people telling me, I'm also a, a drummer, um, people tell me, oh, yeah, you, you're, you know, you're a good drummer for a girl or a good beatboxer as, as a girl or whatever, and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good in general, and I can beat you, and I know that I can, and um, it, it came down to me and this, this other kid who was, like, 18, uh, and I took home the win, uh, and then I had young girls. This was so this was so special. I had young women and young girls come up to me um, saying like, I didn't know girls could do that. And, you know, you didn't back down from these guys and you were like in their face and you were so aggressive. And it was just amazing to see. And um, within like the music industry, it's so male dominated, especially like in hip hop and um just so like as the fact that I'm a, a woman and a vocal percussionist, I just think is really special because um, definitely growing up, a lot of my influences in music were women. And um, I think young women can can benefit from that as well to see that. So um, I'm happy to to kind of be that. Uh, starting point but i i don't teach i think i should get into teaching or something that'd be yeah. a a group like uh vocal percussion class would be yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> might start off as a headache <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have probably. you ever thought about uh doing that as a career maybe down the line in a few years or absolutely yeah and that's where i know um it's it's complicated because i've started and I've um I've done so much in terms of like you know working with black space and there's so much that has to get done and it's not easy work and I don't know necessarily when the time uh is to pass the torch but um you don't need to do activism for a long time to feel burnt out or to know that it's time to take a break so um I, I know I need to push myself uh, into being more creative. And I know there'll be um, moments to do that. I just need to carve out the time and be disciplined about it. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it's completely possible. And I know I'm capable of doing it. It's just a matter of kind of getting back into the swing of things. Because I used to do it a lot, like, um, I'd say, like, 2014 to 2016 were very active um within music so I know it's it's always there it's not going anywhere um so I can go back to it sweet so um you were talking a bit about your mother earlier was she uh like participating in activism projects as well or well, where did you get this fire to do that type of thing yeah my mom is definitely uh and I don't think she realizes the impact um that she's had on me um, throughout my 
you know, career. Um, but I don't know. She's always she's always taught me to stand up for myself and be vocal and stand up for what I believe in. So um, it's not a huge surprise that I'm doing the work I'm doing now. Um, but I, it's hard because um, I think that generation at times gets, um, I don't know, they're, they're scared to try new things. And I think if she would have believed in herself more, she could have been setting the foundation, um, you know, when I was little, so I can pick up where she kind of left off. But um, she taught me, um, I would say she, she, she laid down the groundwork and I kind of picked it up, but um, I, I still don't think she, she, she knows the amount of influence that she's had on me. And I tell her everything that I'm working on and she's very proud of me, um, but I would love to see her and you know, older people, especially within my community, um, just, I don't know, open that line of communication more because um, there's there's a lack of, of mentorship when it comes to like community building and activism and, you know, just who did this before me? How did they do it? And where can I, you know, pick up where they left off? But, you know, and also the, the unfortunate thing is since white supremacy is so, um, it manifests in so many different ways. Um, there, there's been, like, black space, it's done a lot, but, you know, it's not the first type of its kind. There's been several different initiatives that's come before us um, within our community. And, you know, when, like, my grandparents came here um, from Jamaica to England to Winnipeg, um, like in the 1960s and even, you know, their generation and things that they've done. Um, but, you know, movements, they they die or they reshape or, um, you know, they get taken on by other people. And I think sometimes folks are just, I don't know, tired and um, they can't do this work all the time. But um, I would like to see just a, a, a shift in like, uh, in direction in terms of mentorship because I think we have a lot to learn from our grandparents and our parents generation um, especially in terms of like community building um, but yeah I, I, I would say that she's been she's done so much and it's, it's hard to pinpoint every single thing but mm-hmm. uh, yeah she's been great Speaking about mentorships, uh, anybody in addition to your mother who has inspired you, mentored you throughout the years? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm sure yes. Uh, um, I've had, I've had mentors. I think throughout the past, mo- in most recent years. Um, like I said, my my uh like academic mentors and um i hang around a lot of people who are quite older than i am uh and i've always been like that i don't know why i think i just like learning from um folks who i can learn from and not make mistakes um but yeah i would say that um very close friends and the the professor i mentioned before dr uh, jenny hay john wills um just opened me to uh, new opportunities and, um, you know, different avenues of um, just exploring what it means to be 
um, a community leader and a scholar and an activist and an organizer. Um, there's there's a few people that are that are close to me that like I didn't. It's it's hard to. I never used to be like in my in my early twenties. I never used to think that I could run events and um, you know be a leader and do all this this cool stuff. And it takes time and it takes an incredible amount of discipline. Um, and uh, I would say uh, people have set me in the right direction um, to uh, you know provide that space and resources to other young folks but um, it's also it's also very intimidating to be seen as a, a mentor um, I don't want that type of responsibility <laughs> yet um, because I still think I have such a long way to go um, but yeah I, I'd say uh, uh, Jenny and uh, my mom and other close friends of mine uh, throughout the years have just left um, great impressions on me and um, has always um, supported me in the work that I'm doing. So, uh, talking about a bit of the, like, emotional and time and all that effort that you mm -hmm. have to put in, how do you unwind? Or, like, how... Um, does your mind shut off of that? Or is it always thinking about things that you could or should be doing? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Uh, sometimes, like, um, we got the last kind of week and a half off of the year and I literally didn't do anything and it was fantastic um but then I was like feeling guilty I'm like oh my god I have all this free time you should be working on something and then other people are like no you should just chill the fuck out and not worry about anything um but I don't think my mind shuts off in terms of what can be done next or what should be done next I think that's always there um, because I'm always looking to, to start something new or finish something that I've started. Um, and how I unwind is I used to, I'm very extroverted and I used to go out a lot, but, um, I think the older I've gotten, the importance I've seen of like you time and self care, um, and just, um, I don't know, learning to be happy and um, okay with just being by yourself. And it's important to just have that moment with just you and building the relationship with yourself. So um, I like to sit at home and read and watch something interesting on Netflix um, and make music. I do. I have GarageBand on my phone, so that's a great stress reliever. Um, so yeah, I think that's how I unwind. It's just like through self-care time mm -hmm. what are you watching on netflix right now <laughs> um oh that's a good question oh you know what i really like the planet earth series oh, nice. i don't know why um just sitting at home seeing all these beautiful parts of the world i'm like oh maybe i can go there one day and escape um it's just and it's um it's really interesting to see it, it's still i know the the um environmental effects and global warming and you know how we're not taking care of a, our planet as we should be but when I watch that series I'm just like I'm still like the this world is so beautiful and it's it's crazy to think that we've done so much wrong to it over the years 
I like that answer because it's like you're you're supposed to be relaxing, but you're still practicing and activism. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're still learning something. I know. See, so I think it, I think it's just ingrained in my yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that show is so interesting because it like it sometimes you just think like oh my gosh the world is so big like it is where like so and so many like animals and stuff that you didn't even know existed and like especially like the underwater ones you're just like what are these fish like yeah i have no idea (laughs) i know it's the biggest high guy thought but i always wonder and i can't be the only one like how do they get these cameras like in the ocean how did you get this perfect spot where you get to see like this predator hunting yeah. this prey and just like capturing they must like, be down there a lot because yeah, right? some of those some of the things they've captured on film is just like it's in, it almost doesn't look real and like there's no way these people capture that who knows mm. but yeah um yeah but it's also if it's your film. job eight hours 12 hours days yeah. just sitting there like yeah, you're gonna find a great spot did they finish the first planet earth and then immediately start the other one because it would have taken so long to get all that footage i don't know man. i think so <laughs> i don't think they i think there's always people working because that show has been around almost for two decades if i'm not mistaken like for a long time mm-hmm. yeah so i watched this terrible thing about how they like when they couldn't get the shot how they would like force the shot really yeah oh. it was just like there's like these little like um, animals that would like jump off a, a hill or something. Lemmings, right? Yeah. yeah. And they couldn't get them to do it, so they put them on like a lazy Susan that would like push them off of the <laughs> Are thing. You serious? Yes. A lazy. <laughs> it was just like this automatic Susan. like circle and that had like a little pusher and it would like just slowly oh, wow. push them so they could get the shot. So but they're like, the lemmings will survive because whatever, but we couldn't get the shot so we had to push them off. Wow. But I think Planet Earth doesn't do that now. There's oh, no way, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, hope I hope not. not. <laughs> I hope not. Well, last night I watched this one. Um, they caught this, like, white tarantula. It was disgusting, but it was so cool. Like, um, <laughs> cartwheeling itself down this sand hill. And I'm like, that's intense. I don't know. I would be scared. I would not want to film that close to any type of insect. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I, I yeah. don't think so. Yeah, well, and getting so close to the predators, too, like, I need this shot, but at the same oh. time, like, how badly do I need this shot? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also, they can, like, zoom a camera into the moon. That's true. So, they're That's probably true. super far away from them. I'd hope Still. so. I hope so, so scary. <laughs> I just hope, <laughs> we all just hope they're safe. Exactly. Yeah, everyone's having a good time, they're safe, and they're not cheating the shots anymore. Yeah, they're not yeah. pushing any yeah. animals off the hill. Do you have any other questions? Yeah, of course. Okay, then continue. Okay. Sorry, we went on a, a Netflix tangent there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Last interview, we went on a, a video game tangent. Yeah, oh, nice. we end up on tangents, so. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what's coming up for you this year? Anything that you're excited for? Yes. Um, this organization called Connecting the Dots from Ottawa came here to do a community session um, with different black organizations, African organizations in the city. Um, excuse me, and it was really cool to have um, that many people from different communities come together and um, just strategize in the same room. Um, So they asked me to help them work on some national initiatives um, in terms of planning and executing um, some events and um, initiatives in Ottawa. Uh, so hopefully I'll get to go there in February. Uh, and then I also sit on a planning committee with a conference 
um, in North Carolina, which is called Black Communities, a Conference for Collaboration. So we're, um, I'm helping like finalize the agenda and the programming. Um, so that's been really cool. And I went to that conference last year and just being in, I was probably one of five Canadians out of like a thousand attendees that was there. So um, I'm really fortunate that they recognize the work that I do important um, and invited me to sit on this, this committee, um, I think to bridge a stronger connection between what's happening in the States and what's happening um, in Canada. And that, you know, we need to create stronger um, alliances and networking um, systems. So those are two things that I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I think I'm doing a show in June with um, uh, this series called Art Home. Um, but I, again, I need to sit down and, you know, uh, practice what that, what my showcase will look like. Um, and I'm sure there's more things, but I think those are the two things, the three things that, that come what to mind. What is the art home? Art home is, uh, a music series that I think spans over a week and they highlight three, uh, local artists, um, and like have a show like once a night uh, over like seven days. Um, and it's, oh my goodness, Alexandra Elliott, I believe her name is, um, who's a dancer in the city. Um, so she asked me to perform like, you know, the vocal percussion that I do. So uh, I'm excited about that for sure. How long is your resume? If you have to like apply for a job and handing in a resume, oh like how do you manage? Font really small. Yeah, how do you manage to fit? It I, all on I can't. Well, that's I'm I'm probably well. Employers look at my resume. They're probably like, "Okay, she's done too much kind of stuff." Mm -hmm. I I don't know what to put on my resume anymore, um, because I'm I've done you know a variety of things. Um, I don't know. I I think that what I'm most comfortable in is like facilitation and. Um, you know, organizing and planning events, um, and yeah, there's there's a lot, but I I try to, I don't know, there, and I'm always doing something else. So, um, and I don't want to stay in Winnipeg forever. That's a big thing I'm I'm realizing right yeah, now. What do you What do you feel like you want to do? Or um, where you wanna go? Well, my uh, I am looking at graduate school as well. So. Um, you know, sometimes when you have pieces of paper with your name on it, it means that you're important. So um, I and I realize the credentials are, are necessary for people to, you know, take you seriously at times. So um, I'm thinking of maybe Toronto or Nova Scotia or Vancouver. Um, but yeah, I think I'm I think I've, I have a general understanding of how Winnipeg works and um Nothing, you know, if you leave, nothing's going to change drastically and you can always come back home. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm ready to just kind of see what else is out there. Cool. Fantastic. And the, the graduate program that would be in like human rights? Um, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe history or um, like urban planning and development uh, or like sociology. Those are kind of my my key areas. I just noticed your phone thought you said, hey Siri, but you oh. said history, and oh. it started recording everything that you said. Yeah, well, she never listens to me. I don't know what's going on with Siri. Sometimes I speak to her, she doesn't even respond, so. 
But yeah, history she caught and she just started recording all the words that you were saying. A little transcript. Oh, that's that was awesome. so funny. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, so before you leave, would you want to hand over the reins of Black Space Winnipeg and make sure that is still going to be growing while you're gone? Absolutely. Um, but again, we, I'm very like, I've realized I, we want to move from being grassroots to operational. And uh, there's only so many things you can do um, when you're a grassroots organization. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you've, you've built something and you're passionate and so driven uh, about it, but uh, you know if you leave, you, you're not too sure of the state that it, it will be in. So um, yes, passing, passing the torch is something I, I'm looking to do. Um, but again, you never know. It's, it's a lot of work. It, you don't get paid for a lot of it. So it's like not the best job description, but um, the, the value is there for sure. And for your job, you said you were working for the city of Winnipeg? I, I actually, I work at Jazz Winnipeg. That's like oh, my, cool. my full-time gig. Um, and I sit, on a, I sit on a board with the city of Winnipeg. Um, and then I, I do contracts. Um, people contract me sometimes to produce shows or um, increase the diversity in the arts community. That had finger quotes. Yeah. Why did that have finger quotes uh, on it? Because um, sometimes when people hire you to like increase diversity, which is great, they're also not doing the work themselves. They're just like, hey, I did my job. I hired someone to do this and they're not doing that job um, themselves. But uh, that's okay. I mean, I, I, I think enough people know me to know that I'm the, the person when it comes to speaking about representation and inclusion and diversity um, and challenging, you know, our very flawed systems. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, I'd like, I'd like something more stable. I, I, I'll get an adult job soon, but, mm-hmm. and, but I might be going back to school. So who knows? It probably yeah. won't be. <laughs> Well, you need one, yeah, longer. your resume yeah. is going to be out of control. I yeah. know, yeah. I know. <laughs> okay. Okay. That was a lot. Thank you so yeah. much for Thank all you. your Thank time you for your and, and everything. Awesome. teaching us so much. Yeah, yeah we, we learned a lot and it's incredibly valuable. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Okay, ready? Thank, Thank you, you for, for cutting, cutting deep with us on Papercut Paper Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.